Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Um, this morning, as always, I want to welcome everyone here at this time and this place of the Zendo, the international Zendo, right? Um, and also to all those who might be listening in the future um, to this from the Sanghas in Madison, England, Switzerland, Chicago, Alpine, and Hawaii. So welcome to those folks as well. Um, to start, I'd like to uh, talk about the announcements. <clears throat> and the ones I have listed haven't changed from last week, but I'll repeat them. Um, October 8th, I'll be leading a uh, one-day sit. Um, It'll probably be Friday night and, and Saturday. <clears throat> uh, and then November um, 5th through 7th, there's a three-day intensive with Todd and Joel. And that'll start also on a Friday and then go Saturday and Sunday. And then on the 10th of November, there's the memorial, formal memorial for Kevin Frost at Mercury Hall and will be held outside. <clears throat> in the garden, should be a lovely, lovely venue. Um, does anybody else have any uh, announcements? Okay, then we'll get started. You know what? I don't think I hear you guys. Why would that be? Oh, no, that's not that. Can Hello. you see? Yeah, you can hear. Can you hear me? Oh, yes, I can. Okay. It's just felt like I was in a vacuum. Okay. <laughs> so um, today I'm, I'm going to do something a little bit different. Um, I'd like to talk about uh, an article that um, I've read recently. Well, actually, I read it a year ago. Um, but I think it's a, a really wonderful article. It's uh, Karen Armstrong is the author of it. And it's called The Lost Art of Reading Scripture. And it was published in Tricycle in the summer of 2020. And I'm, I wanted to present what she has to say just because I thought it might be useful um, in thinking about how to approach our sutras and a lot of our chants. Um, I mean, we do that all the time, but sometimes, uh, there's a tendency to, to approach those with the rational mind, with the mind of logic. And so she talks uh, about that and how the scriptures were, but how they were intended to be read and so forth. So I just thought I'd, I'd like to present that. And then I thought we'd do a little exercise afterwards. So that's, that's kind of where we're going. Um, <clears throat> okay. So, so the first half of her article deals with the history of human uh, transcendence of everyday experience. And then the second half is 
about characteristics of scripture. So I'll be, I'll be talking along for a little while. I apologize for a lot of talking, but anyway, we'll get to an exercise after a little while. So, <clears throat> so the reason uh, why I'd like to talk about this, talk about it a little bit further, is um, she makes certain recommendations on how to approach and, and read these ancient texts. And, um, and explains how and why the scripture should not be considered as a historical account or a doctrine to place one's uh, belief in, but rather what they're, what they're about is a radical transformation of your heart and mind. So, um, early on, humans started making to, to a taught tools, there it is, it's making taught tools. <laughs> and about the same time, they started creating works of art. And the art, interestingly enough, was reflecting their fear, their wonder, their mystery about their everyday existence, about their existence. So uh, a classic example of that is a cave, I believe it's in France, some other place. It's the Lacan Caves, I mispronounced that, I'm sure. It's dated from 17,000 uh, before Common Era, so it's a very old site. And there are paintings and um, paintings of, of local animals in, in one section, and then there in another area there are um, engravings of certain large mammals, the bison and the uh, musk oxen, and several, uh, several other large animals. And then there is this massive figure um, that's part human and part beast on, on a wall, and he has penetrating eyes. And so um, it's located in this site at a place where you're coming out of the temple and you're coming out of the tunnel and you're approaching the temple. So you can't miss it. I mean, it's raining right at you. And so you see these penetrating eyes. So isn't that interesting? What's going on? What, what is that? I mean, this is not um, something that happens every day in the terms of it's not something that they've seen. It's not empirical <laughs> evidence of something. It goes way beyond that. Um, it's, it's rather talking about the transcendence of everyday experience. And it's, it's also about the sense of unity between human, animal, and what she says, the divine. Well, isn't that interesting? Starting that early, we're already wondering about something beyond just the everyday, something beyond, you know, just eating you know, common things that we do every day. It's beyond that. I just find that fascinating. Um, so human beings deliberately cultivated this perception, this um, understanding of existence that differed from the empirical. Through time, human beings have been instinctively drawn to the sacred. 
open to the sacred and an enhanced state of being. Um, they're, they're, as I said, perceiving something beyond just the, just the immediate things that we see. They're seeing beyond just the relative. So until uh, modern, the modern period, all, uh, it was taken for granted that all cultures found that the world was pervaded by a reality that exceeded the, the, the reach of intellect. So in, in modern day cultures, we may not be so um, assiduously trying to, trying to make sense of things in this way, um, but we all experience, we all have experienced at least once um, when we were touched deeply within or when we were lifted momentarily beyond ourselves or when we connected with, fully connected to our humanity much in much fuller way than usual. I think that, we, that everyone experiences that at some point. And uh, oftentimes it's um, created through or a result of music, poetry, nature, nature for sure, love, and then she also mentions sex and sports as well as religion. So all of those things can lead to this kind of going beyond the immediate human experience. So through history, it's been the artists, the poets, the mystics who have cultivated the understanding of this ineffable quality of reality. So some expressed this and uh, expressed uh, their insights in scripture and others read scripture and through that had their own insights. <clears throat> so this deep-seated, apparent deep-seated yearning for transcendence and transformation is a common theme in scripture. In scripture, when I talk about scripture, I'm talking in a general sense of the different religions from Buddhism to Christianity to Islam. Um, so, uh, so it's a common theme, and then also included in that is ways to achieve this transcendence. Both of those things come up in scripture. So again, these days, in general, and I don't know if this is just in the West, I suspect it's greater in the West, that there's a focus less on our transformation in general, I'm talking, than um, it's less on that and more on the questions of being thinner and more attractive and being younger and um, being kinder, and, you know, a whole litany of things of, beyond this, that there is some other part of us beyond this imperfect self. There's that idea behind it. It's lurking there. So I want to talk about religion for a moment. Um, 
the definition of religion by this is American, uh, Frederick Strain, uh, says that religion is a means of ultimate transformation. So that's more, of course, in the modern time. It's a fundamental change from being caught up in our everyday troubles and finding a way to cope with those troubles in a deeper way. And then further beyond that, once one is living that way, then one can, um, has a, can experience a more authentic and deeper reality. That is the ultimate, <clears throat> as he described it. So um, as a part of religion, we have myths and rituals, sacred texts and ethical practices. And through those, what's developed is an action plan for people to reach beyond themselves to connect with the true and ultimate reality. And thereby <clears throat> save themselves from destructive forces. And once that is accomplished or worked at, then a new depth and purpose can be acquired. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the history of scripture itself. So apparently scripture started um, in the Middle East and um, it, it emerged out of the larger, more complex societies. Hmm. And partly behind it was the, the desire to create some sort of ethos, something to bind people together in these larger societies. And so um, in these societies, they were largely agrarian. And um, the social structure was you had a few aristocrats kind of ruling everything, and they had their uh, retinue, or retainers. And then most of the population was uh, you know, the worker bees that were living in subsistence. So um, uh, and, and the religious view of this, this structure was that in the Christianity, in Christianity, for example, there was this discontent with the inequity of the system, but nevertheless, out of this, um, of the inequity of it, nevertheless, out of this social structure uh, emerged a privileged class. Um, and those are the ones that had leisure time, and so they could create art and sciences. So that's, there was a big downside, but there was also an upside to the structure. So, and most of the sages, prophets, and philosophers belonged to this elite class. And those are the ones they had time to engage in an intense contemplation and ritualized practice. So scripture uh, can be defined as a text that's regarded as sacred, often, but not always, certainly not in the case of Buddhism, but in the other religions. Um, it's it's um, considered sacred because it is divinely revealed and forms part of some authoritative canon. Um, these uh, scriptures were composed, and this is true with Buddhism, and transmitted orally. And then subsequently, 
they were um, uh, actually written down. In some traditions, um, the sound of the inspired world, words would be more important than the semantic meaning. I find that very interesting. And I, we have uh, one example of that, if not more, um, is with the, the chant Kanzion, it's in, we have it in Japanese. And if you've ever listened to it, it's in, I don't know how many lines it is. I don't know, it's probably 20 or so. But um, as you read it, um, you start at a very slow pace and then you go a little faster, go a little faster. We do, do it seven times. And so by, you go fast and then, um, and then you stop at the end and then there's silence. Anyway, it's, it has a big impact. And a lot of times that particular piece is used in memorials and so forth, or right after someone has, has died. Kansion is another word for Avalokiteshvara, so it's called Avalokiteshvara in that situation. Anyway, <clears throat> so um, so scripture was also sung and chanted. We do that. We do the chanting. We don't do much singing except for the, the refuges sometimes in the intensives. And they also have um, words that are that are used that are separated from mundane speech. And then some texts were not considered, but they were like inert. They had no meaning unless there was a living voice behind it. I found all this very interesting, this whole history of different ways to approach this subject. Um, scripture was therefore essentially a performative art. This is really important when we think of, um, think of our texts I think of the sutras, and particularly uh, the Mahayana um, uh, text, the sutras, and specifically being like Kirti, that has a lot of crazy stuff going on, where space goes big and small, people fit in a small room, and then all of a sudden it's expanded to fit many people, and they're flying to different universes, it's all this crazy stuff. And yet, it has meaning, but not on the level of the words per se. Anyway, it's, it's more performative. And so there's, and a lot of times with this performative art, it's, there's an acting out in the drama of a ritual. And many times this belongs to the world of myth. And we do have something like that in our tradition of um, performative art and the drama is every time we do our head student um, The, well, it's the exit, it's the head student ceremony where the student, um, teachers ask the student to come forward. They've gone around to all the different people and everyone has bowed to them. And, and then they come up to the front and basically the teachers ask him to be the head student, to be the friend of the Sangha. And they always say, no, I cannot. And they start to leave. And then the teachers call them back. So it's this, it's in script, but it's very interesting. It's a very, I find it a very moving thing every time I watch it. Um, the second time, the, the script says something different. It's more like, oh, I'm not worthy of this. You know, it's this whole drama that's, that's created. And it's, I don't know, I'm really getting into it. The teacher says, 
come back again, and then finally talks them into it, and it's like, oh, happy day, they decided to become a student. So, <clears throat> so today, the myths aren't, myths are considered to be not true, but traditionally a myth expressed the timeless truth that in some sense happened once, but always, but also happens all the time. Again, we find this all the time, and not all the time, we find this quite a bit in our, in our scriptures. Chin Chin Ming, the last line, is something about today, um, the past, the present, and the future. We find that often, and it's talking about the idea of something being timeless. It's now, but it's always. So, um, and this kind of thing enables people to make sense out of their lives. This is one reason, I suppose. Reason for it by setting these dilemmas, for example, in a timeless context. So these myths are not designed to confirm belief or in, endorse your current way of thinking. On the contrary, it's calling, as I mentioned earlier, for the radical transformation of heart and mind. So they're a way of um, conceiving or apprehending this mysterious quality of the world or of reality that we just can't grasp conceptually. Now, our, our, uh, they come alive through these rituals. So our modern society is rooted, rooted in, in reason, which must relate precisely to factual, objective, an empirical reality if it is to function efficiently in, in this world. So the prevalence of reason in modern society has made scripture problematic because scripture, <clears throat> scripture's narratives have never claimed to be accurate descriptions of the creation of the world or the evolution of the species, for example. They don't conform to modern scientific and historical norms. And so many see them as untrue, untrue. So this is stuff that kind of falls in our realm. And there's so much in, in what we read from the, the sutras and the chants and things that the reason, reason does not apply to it. And so Karen Armstrong says that as works of art, however, they must be read according to the laws of the genre. And like any artwork, scripture requires the disciplined cultivation of an appropriate mode of consciousness. And part of that, she says, is the divestment of ego. Otherwise, the texts are impenetrable. When the texts are considered, rather as a factual, they are considered an indication that could only point, it's like pointing a finger at the moon, we hear that all the time, and pointing to the ineffable. Their purpose is, in fact, to utterly transform the reader or the listener. So the art of scripture did not mean returning to a perfect past. This is an interesting 
characteristic as well. It's not about returning to the golden past and following those rules. It's not that at all, but rather the sacred text was always a work in progress to give meaning to the present. It's creative, imaginative, and inventive way of interpreting and a way to reflect on our modern times. And so um, that's what we do with our texts. We read them and then try to figure out how they apply to our life today. We're not just presuming it's something in the past we want to follow as is. So every structural tradition has a central theme or motif reflecting its unique, unique view of the human predicament. And each tradition invests with dignity and significance a way of life in the world that can otherwise seem brutal, pointless, and terrifying. We go back to the, to the people who were in the caves. That's exactly what they were expressing. And we're still, still dealing with that. <laughs> Our life and some brutality out there. And a lot of pointlessness. And a lot of terrifying acts. But scripture, when practices art, is language made numinous or made, made spiritual. So the message of a scripture is not cast in stone, and no scriptural text has all the answers, of course. Even the inspired words of scripture must eventually seg into the silence that is an expression of our awe, wonder, and unknowing. So that's basically what the article is read, so was talking about. And so I was I was wanting to um, see if we could do an exercise where we're consciously um, Uh, experiencing it as opposed to trying to grasp a meaning, which is what we tend to do often. So this is an experiment and this is total play, people, total play. <laughs> um, what I thought we would do is, um, I was gonna look at the Xing Xing Ming and I thought we could read it together um, Put it together once and um, the whole thing. And then I thought we would go into groups and uh, how many are we? Two, four, six, eight, ten, fourteen, sixteen, seventeen. Okay. Um, so we can get into groups of, um, we can do twosies. And, um, and then I have some, some jobs which I'm going to suggest. But I want to say a little bit more about the changes. Before we get started, before I give you the directions. So, most of you are very familiar with the Xinjiang. We read it pretty consistently on Wednesday nights and uh, oftentimes in, uh, in the intensives. And um, I chose it because there are a lot of elements in there that are, that are interesting as far as scripture goes. And also, what I, uh, yeah, so that's why I chose it. So, just as a background to it, um, it's uh, 
beloved by Chan and Zen practitioners for over a thousand years. It's still studied in Western Zen circles such as ours. And the authorship is still, they attribute it to Sen Khan, um, but now modern uh, scholars are saying, well, we don't think so. We think he was already dead by the time, or dead before it was actually written. So uh, I think it was during the Tang Dynasty between 618 and 907. So anyway, so there's some question about, about that. Um, anyway, that doesn't really make, that's not important to us at this point. Um, so so let's, let's read this thing to start. And then what we'll do is we'll break into the groups. And what we're going to do is we're looking for experience in the body. So I'll explain it to you a little bit closer. But it's basically um, the first go around when we read it together. Um, I'd like you to select a word or a phrase, probably a phrase. It's a pretty long thing. Just select a phrase that, that stands out to you. Just choose that and remember what it is for the, the rest of the exercise. So we'll start there. And um, does do people have the the um, their chant book there available? Would someone like to read it? I'll read it if nobody else wants to. But I thought it'd be a great chance for somebody else to read it. Any takers? I'll read it. Ellen. All right. Oh, somebody else said that? Yeah, Rosemary beat me to the to oh, no. Okay. Rosemary. <laughs> Sorry, Alan. Okay. Um, put, the, put the light on. Okay. Shin Shin Ming. The great way isn't difficult for those okay, who are unattached to their preferences. Let go of longing and aversion, and everything will be perfectly clear. When you cling to a hair's breadth of distinction, heaven and earth are set apart. If you want to realize the truth, don't be for or against. The struggle between good and evil is the primal disease of the mind. Not grasping the deeper meaning, you just trouble your mind's serenity. As vast as infinite space, it is perfect and lacks nothing. But because you select and reject, you can't perceive its true nature. Don't get tangled in the world. Don't lose yourself in emptiness. Be at peace in the oneness of things, and all errors will disappear by themselves. If you don't live the Tao, you fall into assertion or denial, asserting that the world is real. You are blind to its deeper reality, denying that the world is real. You are blind to the selflessness of all things. The more you think about these matters, the far you are from the farther you are from the truth. Step aside from all thinking, and there is nowhere you can't go. Returning to the root, you find the meaning. Chasing appearances, you lose their source. At the moment of profound insight, you transcend both appearance and emptiness. Don't keep searching for the truth. Just let go of your opinions. For the mind in harmony with the Tao, all selfishness disappears with not even a trace of self-doubt. 
You can trust the universe completely. All at once you are free with nothing left to hold on to. All is empty, brilliant, perfect in its own being. In all the world of things as they are, there is no self, no non-self. If you want to describe its essence, the best you can say is not to. In this not to, nothing is separate and nothing in the world is excluded. The enlightened of all times and places have entered into this truth. In it, there is no gain or loss. One instant is 10,000 years. There is no here, no there. Infinity is right before your eyes. The tiny is as large as the vast. When objective boundaries have vanished, the vast is as small as the tiny. When you don't have external limits. Being is an aspect of non-being. Non-being is no different from being. Until you understand this truth, you won't see every, anything clearly. One is all, all are one. When you realize this, what reason for holiness or wisdom? The mind of absolute trust is beyond all thought, all striving, is perfectly at peace, for in it there is no yesterday, no today, no tomorrow. Thank you. Okay, so I think we, uh, we need to get into the groups. And what we're going to do is you have your phrase that you chose. And then um, in your groups, you'll, uh, one person will read it again, and the other person will listen. One will read and one will listen. And um, just pay attention to any feeling that comes up while you're listening to the, the whole thing and and maybe particularly that phrase or could be the whole thing but just really pay attention get into the body this is we're trying to do a, an embodiment thing assessment so what is the impact on your body what is it that you well first of all what what feeling so sadness or um you know a lightness or um, a number of emotions, uh, um, discomfort or ease or all that sort of stuff. So, so just what kind of emotion comes up? And then um, I want emotion. So, so happy, sad, um, angry, you know, whatever. So that's the first go round. And then the second time, the other person is going to read. And then the thing I would like you to pay attention to is um, tone. Yeah, and, and you guys can talk about that for just a couple of minutes. So you might have to both do it. You're both going to uh, read it and, and um, start over. Instruction. Erase. Okay. Point one. Um, we've listened to it. You picked your picked your thing, and then the second time, one person reads, and then you're going to be paying attention to. Um, feeling. And so um, longing, happiness, peacefulness, aversion, whatever that may be. And then also you might note, uh, first note the, the um, feeling and then any thought that comes up around it, you know, maybe about that feeling. And then, um, then, we're, then the other person reads and what you're going to be paying attention to is sensation in the body. So 
that'll be warming or tightening or um, ease or um, uh, pain. Okay, and then, yeah, that's it. So, so what we're doing is trying to get into the body and see different ways that this may have impacted you. So then, then you'll have a, another opportunity to, at the end, to say, what was the overall impact? So we have the feeling, we have the sensation, we have the thoughts around the feeling, and then what is the overall impact does this text have on you? So we're looking at it as a stimulus to, to the body as opposed to, to, to the mind, you know, the thought mind, and that's what we're just trying to look at to see if there's, see what, see what that's about, see if that has any impact. Okay, is that clear? My jumbled instructions. Okay. Yeah. Just a quick question. So when you say read, do you mean uh, just read our one line? Do you no. mean or the whole? Yeah, the text. The whole text. Okay. Ellen, did you have a question? Uh, yeah. So we read it three times in total or two times in total? Two. Two. Okay. Yeah, but we're talking, the first one's going to be feeling. The first time we read it, we already chose our, our phrase. The second one is um, the feeling and then the thought around the feeling. And the third one is the sensation in the body. But that's and, true. So you're talking about the first time we all read it together is number one. Yeah. No, it's root. It's, okay, got it. And then, and then after you do those two um, body things, just what was the overall impact? And then we'll come back and share with people watching. But we'll come back. Anybody? Ellen? Um, yeah, both Juan Carlos and I uh, noticed relaxation. Hmm. Just reading through it, the body just tended to relax. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Elizabeth? Uh, for me, I had never heard that before, um, this scripture. And and for me, um, I, I had a lot of tension. I had a lot of throat tightening, uh, especially the part, don't get tangled in the world. Ah, interesting. <laughs> I'm so tangled in the world. <laughs> yeah, we all. <laughs> great. I'm glad. This is just all about noticing. And yeah, so great. Thank you. Melanie? My feeling wasn't uh, that of reaction. It was more of how can I react to this? How I wanted to write a haiku. I wanted to respond to it. I, I felt tingling in my body. My body felt activated. It felt it's the, also the first time um, I've read this. And it just felt to me like, okay, this is basically, it's the crux of it is let go of longing and aversion and everything will be perfectly clear. And then it just goes on saying that. 10 different ways. <laughs> I was just like, okay, enough, I got it. But um, I just wanted to, uh, you know, say, well, yes, it's because 
because we're so tangled, we need to hear it in different ways. We need to hear it in different forms. Our body needs to react to it. We need to push it away. We need to let it come in and it's, everything is fine. Everything's gonna be okay. Yeah. <laughs> Great, Molly, thank you. John, John Mueller. You have to unmute yourself, John, because you've got your settings. So I can't unmute you. There. There you go. We were three of us together, Joan Harmon and Bill and I, and Joan read it to us. It was just so powerful, like like I couldn't put words to it. It was just in I was enveloped in the whole thing. And it was like it's beyond words, but it was in me now. And we were all very moved by it. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. I that. yeah. It's great. I'm glad so many people had a, had a sense of it. Uh, I know sometimes we just, as I said before, we tend to try to grasp onto the meaning and then we miss what our body, how our body is taking it in. So it's really cool. I love the line of the hair's breath distinction. <clears throat> and whenever that line is read, I kind of really notice um, the tension in my chest or a feeling and it tells me that I'm offline, that I'm, I'm kind of that hair's breath off. Mm -hmm. And each time it brings me back again and again. And it is, it's that thing, isn't it? If we're offline a bit or if we're not here, then that tension, anxiety, whatever form it shows up in us, lets us know if, we, if we're quiet enough and still enough, we can hear where it's telling us our bodies shouting at us, screaming at us, or sometimes whispering that we're not quite, you know, we're a hair's breadth off. So that, that, that line is always really special and important to me to come back again and again and again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, thank you. I got uh, stuck on the, I was doing this last night as well, and it, it happened last night as well, the one, um, you can trust in the universe completely. And it's like, um, it, both times it hit me as this is, this is what I need to hear right now, you know? And it just brought a great ease to me. So, people, a lot of times you can read this these scriptures and they affect you they're like koans you know they affect you in different ways depending on what you're bringing bringing to it right so body will let you know okay we'll wrap this up thank you so much for your participation and i'm sorry we had so little time but i think it worked anyway so